Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. (laughs) That's right. That's good enough. (laughs) Oh boy. Let's dive in. Introducing Chris Black Jasper. She's a twin, a mom, a singer, actress, and podcast host. And she's lived a colorful life. Chris, welcome. First of all, I want to talk about the title of your podcast, Naked and Persuaded. I want to get naked and persuaded today right here. All right. You get so raw and personal in your podcast, and I have so much respect for that. Thank you. It's scary, but fun. Do you just talk like no one's listening? Yes, I do. And normally when I do my podcast, no one's listening. (laughs) The thing is, though, is when you're first starting out like we are, there's Mm -hmm. kind of beauty in that. Yes, it is a lot of beauty in that because while there are expectations, there's also no expectations. You get to try and see what works for you and the audience for at least for me the audience that you grab along the way you kind of go okay yeah that's my tribe what i've been seeing is like the more crazy people are the more they let loose the more they are just themselves and over the top that resonates the most i actually just posted a picture of my dad like reading a script and I thought I'm like oh my god dad like was that the one where he called himself big daddy yes that one did so well though honestly like he was just totally being himself it was a blurry screen (laughs) let me tell you as a kid I would have been completely mortified of that and now I'm like that's what makes me unique is that I have that daddy absolutely for me that's a big part about the naked and persuaded that you just get to be free. Just be who you are for all that it is and isn't. Just stay there and enjoy that moment and enjoy being who you are, being authentic. So that's the beauty of it. I, I don't have to pretend or, you know, because I'm an actress, at least I'll say that I'm an actress because I've been on the stage acting. So there you have that. So I don't have to put on a character. I can just be Chris. I'm happy. Okay, well, since you brought up the actor thing, I want to now know about the stages that you've been on. Well, I've been kind of acting for a while. Like when I was married, my husband at that time, we put on a couple of stage plays. Uh, I think we did one in Grapevine. We did one in Mansfield. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, we kind of wrote together. And of course, it's always fun when you're doing it with somebody who enjoys that, that kind of uh, platform. But I've been doing it for years, ever since I was a kid. My grandparents were, oh, you're going to be in the church play and the church pageant and the church choir and everything else they can get my sisters and I in. We were in it. And so that's been a part of my life forever. The first time, however, that I actually got to get on a stage that I didn't create, if you will, was just last year. 2018, actually, I auditioned for the first time for people... I did not know. And it was the most scary and exhilarating moment of my life. I don't do well with rejection. So 
putting myself out there for people to just stare and give you nothing. Yeah, it was different. It was different, but it was fun. I had callbacks that day for two different plays with the third one on the table. I wind up getting two of the three. So in it for it to be my first time out, I felt like Superwoman. Do you remember the audition piece at all? I don't. I remember I said, I remember it was from a, a play from a playwright named Lynn Nottage. And it was basically, I remember the character that I did, she had fell in love with this guy. And, you know, they wrote back and forth to one another. And so they fell in love with one another through their letters. But when they got together, they both discovered they weren't really writing about themselves. If you're auditioning for musicals and plays, you have to do the, you know, your monologue and you have to sing 16 bars of a song. But it was fun. What did you sing? Oh my gosh, I think I sang some Mahalia Jackson song. How did you prepare for that? Well, I sing anyway at church and I've been singing my whole life. The singing part, I was like, that's fine. I do that all the time. I wasn't nervous about that part, but I was definitely nervous about the monologue. Now I do auditions all the time. <laughs> yeah, still? Yeah. Matter of fact, I have one tomorrow morning virtually. Wow, and what's it for? It's for a play called Pooled. It's by Alexander Green is the playwright. He really brought it to a more modernized time. So you literally have the old grandmothers who gossip about the people that come to the pool to get healed again and again and again. So I'm probably gonna be one of the grandmothers because I got a lot of gray hair. So you're practicing <laughs> for that part? I'm practicing for the grandmother part. And then like when you get the information, they have, you know, the cast list of what they're looking for. And because it's a musical, they also tell you like this particular character needs to be able to sing alto or soprano or tenor or what have you. I'm like, you know, I'm a solid alto. How did you learn how to read music? I was in a marching band. Oh, yeah. cool. I used to play clarinet. I have a twin sister, identical twin sister, and she played flute. Okay, so I want to take it back to your childhood. You grew up okay. an identical twin. What was that like? It was absolute joy because you had a live-in best friend, like forever. It was great. Like, it was a lot of fun. You know, you always had someone there. We were raised by um, our grandparents, and they always had us in pink and blue something. Or they did the, if it's a particular style of shirt, it may not necessarily be pink or blue, but the style of the shirt was always going to be the same. I assure you, by the time we got to high school, my sister had had enough. I was the one that was always saying, are we going to dress alike today? Can we do it today? And she's like, no, please not today. Did oh, anybody ever confuse yeah. you? I like those kinds of stories. When we were in elementary, that, I think that was our first time actually trying to do the class switch. We did not wear the same thing that day. Well, it was similar, but not the same enough where she can go to my class and I can go to hers. So we go into the girls' bathroom one day and we said, okay, we're, we're going to change clothes. And then you go to my class and you go, and I'll go to your class. Well, one of our mutual friends happened to walk in when we were changing clothes and told. So that didn't happen. Womp womp. <laughs> I know. Totally. But we tried it again in high school several times. And it worked. <laughs> I want to hear about that. 
I can say it now because we are long gone from those high school days, but math was not my favorite subject for me. My sister, English and social studies were not her favorite subjects. So we, you know, found it very convenient to, on the occasion where we did not study for said subjects final, we wore the same clothes that day and I would take her finals and she would take mine. <laughs> nice. Did that help the report card? <laughs> the report cards wound up being great. I do remember though, a funny story. We used to live together and I think we were having dinner or something and we had our boyfriends that were going to come over. So we decided, don't know why. Well, let's just see. I mean, they supposed to know who we are. Let's just see. We dressed the same, had our hair the same, had our makeup the same, head to toe. The boyfriends get there. We answer the door together. Now, if you did not see my face and just heard me talk and we just continued the conversation and I said to you, hey, hold on a second. I'll be right back. And my sister got on the phone you would still think you're talking to me. That's how much our voices sound exactly alike. Our tones, everything. Gave the boyfriends a hug, the wrong boyfriends, but they didn't know. And they weren't going to say, wait a minute, uh-uh, because they didn't know. And it was funny. We in the kitchen, we, you know, we're fixing dinner. And yeah, y'all go watch TV, blah, blah, blah. And they just in there, you know, they were silent, but you knew they were trying to figure out, but neither one of them wanted to say anything to the other person because of course they would have been embarrassed. So my sister and I, we're in the kitchen, we're fixing the food. We come out and we, we sit down, y'all coming to dinner? We sit down where we're going to sit and we left it to them to figure out where they were going to sit. And you can see the uneasiness. Oh my gosh, it was priceless. Now my sister and I, we have this inner, it's a twin thing. So we are literally on the inside about to bust. We go through this entire date. Of course, nobody was kissing. Nobody was holding hands. We're just laughing, watching TV, just cutting up the whole thing. It's time to go, though. And normally, what do you do when it's time to go? You give that wonderful goodbye kiss. Oh, my gosh. So we're getting ready to go, or they're getting ready to go. And we're all like, oh, this is so much fun. We got to get together again. You know, thank you. You know, you do the sweet. Thank you. You're so sweet. Thank you for coming. I know, I know. All right, good night. And so my sister and I, at the same time, we lean in for the kiss, and you can see them. Oh, my God. I, I feel like if they could have been sweating bullets that we could see, we would have seen them. So they kind of leaned in real, real slow. My sister and I, we were like, what you doing? Uh-uh, you about to kiss? That's not, oh my gosh. It was the best night ever. And so after we did that, we laughed so hard. My sister and I, we were in tears laughing so hard, but they were so mad. Oh my gosh. No, they, were they got so mad about it. I thought everybody would be laughing. They were so mad. Oh my gosh, they were so mad. I can't believe you did that. You did the, the whole night. That wasn't, that ain't right. That ain't right. And my sister and I, we're still like, tears are falling. We are so tickled. Of course, by the end, 
And they were laughing too, because they were like, man, you didn't know. No, you didn't know. No, I ain't know. I'm it was hilarious. They never would agree to have a date night together again after that. They refused. I mean, have you ever topped that? No, we've never topped that. Although we did used to get our children. That was Really? Funny. You were able to trick them? Oh my God. Well, when they were babies, because they, you know, they're babies. They didn't know. And I think probably up until two, three years old, they didn't know. Like my sister and I, we were pregnant together at one point. Our, our oldest children are four months apart. And so we used to trick all of our children. We were just like, yeah, here you go. I know. That wasn't nice. It wasn't nice at all. But it was so much fun. <laughs> that's fantastic. I've never heard that kind of story. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. I love that. Yeah. Does she do acting too? No, she does not. I even try to get her to sing. Like she's a she's an alto tenor. I'm more soprano alto. Now we'll sing together, but she won't go somewhere and just sing on her own. You guys could like no. audition for commercials and stuff together though. I know. I would say that. That would be great. But she was like, mm-mm, I don't want to do that. And I remember one year, we might have been maybe five or six, and we won junior Miss First Baptist, but we won it together. There was no way you were going to pick one over the other. First of all, my grandparents wasn't going to have that. And they were very active in the church. And everybody knew us anyway. So it was the, oh, they're too cute. You can't just pick one. Oh my gosh. What about like with guys? Did you ever like one and she ended up with them or vice versa? You know what? As much as we are alike about a lot of things, we never like the same type of guy. That's really interesting. What about friends? We have a lot of mutual friends. Now that was always fun growing up because it was usually one friend that we gravitated to because we all just really got along. But that also made it difficult for me to call that person my best friend and her to call that person her best friend. Yeah. Were you guys competitive about certain things? Yes, very much so. But in a good way. It was always a, a healthy competition until we just, you know, started learning to just appreciate the, the individuality that we had. So... We still are a little bit competitive though. What are you the most competitive about? I think we're, the, we're still the most competitive about cooking. We know how to cook and we learn how to cook from our mom and grandparents. So when we cook certain things, we'll send pictures. Look what I did. Look at my mac and cheese. Do you see the skin on this chicken? Look how crispy it is. It looks just like daddy's. And then, you know, I'll do that or she'll send something. Look what I made. Guess what I'm having for dinner tonight? What are you having? Now, here's the funny thing. Without conversation, without seeing what we put on our shopping list, more times than not, we have prepared the same thing for dinner. And she lives in Jersey. I live in Texas. Or she would happen to be at her office one day and I'm at my office. We didn't have any kind of conversation whatsoever. And we'll just happen to FaceTime each other that particular day. And we're wearing either the same exact color, solid color, or the same color combination. That's crazy. <laughs> if we happen to be maybe meeting up for some, some family gathering or something, and you know, again, we're states apart, 
I'll be the one to say, hey, what are you going to wear? Do you want to do this? I was going to wear this color. Do you have anything this color? What about your earrings? And I'm usually the one that's doing that. And she'll be the one. I don't want to do that, Chris. Do we have to dress alike? I don't want to dress. I don't have that color. I'm not going to go buy that color. And yeah. did you guys ever work together? We did when we worked at a radio station. We both lived in Florida. We worked at a radio station. She worked in the front office and I was a DJ. Christy Love was my radio name. I was fabulous, darling. Oh my God. Do you remember like anything you used to say on air? Oh my gosh. Stay tuned for more from W-O-N-E. I am Christy Love, bringing you all the R&B hits of today, tomorrow, and yesterday. And it would be stuff like that. And the phone calls used to be funny because again, I'm, at that time I was 16 years old, but I kind of had this very sultry radio voice, I guess. Yeah. It was fun though. How did you land that job at 16? I was in a singing group, my sister and I, and our mutual best friend. <laughs> yeah. So the radio station used to host these annual events for the community. And we decided we were going to be one of the acts. I guess the position kind of came open and they were like, yeah, let, let's see what you do. And it was just something for, for me. And even now, it's still something fun. Even being on the stage, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, you got a really, really, really good gift. And like, you can do this. And for me, I'm like, I'm just having fun. And it, that's how it was doing the radio stuff. I don't necessarily see it as, oh, this is my career. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a radio DJ. Yes. Wasn't doing that. It was like, okay, let's see what we're going to do today in the radio station. I'm Christy Love. You know, that's how it was. Even on stage now, that's how I am. I feel like there's so many people that would want those opportunities, though. Like, there's so many people that are like, oh, I'd love to be an actress. Like, they have no idea how to get started. They have no idea how to even find those kinds of opportunities. It's literally putting yourself out there. For me, it, it had a lot to do with networking. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm like a people person. I have, like, this personality. Oh, I can tell. <laughs> I can tell, sunshine. And what's crazy is that I am equally as fine being by myself. And so it was just about networking because I have such a love for people. At that point, I didn't really know how to say no to opportunities. It was just like, hey, Chris, would you? Yes, I will. Hey, Chris, do you know how to? No, I don't, but I'll learn. What do you need? Yeah, I'm interested in what other opportunities came from working at the radio station or from putting yourself out there. I think one of the, the fun parts about working at the radio station is that same business that we worked for. And because they put on different events for the community, they also would bring in artists. So we're talking big name artists, you know, Shirley Caesar, Ready for the World, and being able to meet those people. And I think that was the beginning of seeing myself not so far removed from being around that kind of element. And that was the beginning for me of not being afraid to be on the stage because I can be someone else. I know some of the things that I talked about on my podcast, I think I had shared at one point about experiences that I had as a child I kind of was able to zone out, if you will, and just be someone else. 
be the person that whoever I was with wanted me to be. I think I'm a good enough actress because I had enough experience being a character. I'm really curious to know if you shared that experience with your sister or who you talked to. I did. And my sister, unfortunately, had a similar experience. And so it wasn't a, oh my gosh, oh no. It was, oh no, you too? That's what it was. Oh my yeah. God, that gives me the chills. It's unfortunate. It, it affected us in different ways. What was your relationship like with your parents? That's a very interesting story. We grew up and were raised by our grandparents, grandmother and grandfather on my mother's side. My mom was in the service at one point. She was in the Navy. So she kind of traveled before she got pregnant with us. And she got pregnant with us. And then so, you know, she got out of the service. The story goes that our father had come at some point to say, hey, I want to raise the girls. Well, I want to take the girls for my grandmother to raise them. And my grandfather said, hell to the nah. <laughs> and basically said, no, that's not happening. And then we never saw him again. That was the story we always got growing up. So my mom, she was young. I think she was 19 when she had us. Made some, some poor decisions for her life. And so she wasn't there very often. So we wound up, our grandparents wound up raising us. Childhood, for the most part, was great. Again, I had my, my sister there. And, you know, we have a younger sister who's five years younger than us. And so we, you know, we kind of all were around together for a little while. But there were moments that we had a, a family member who was not appropriate. So there was some molestation that occurred. And... I remember, and I, and I talk about this on my podcast, so it's not like it's anything weird or unknown, at least to those who've been listening. I remember telling my mom about it very casually one night when she was home. And again, it was very casual to me because at that point, I think I was seven, eight, nine-ish. I remember, you know, telling her what had occurred. And I remember it wasn't until her reaction to it that confirmed my feeling of, I don't think this is right. He was my uncle, my mom's oldest brother. And I remember as a child, just because we still saw him, like he still came around like years after that, after I told. And I just remember thinking, okay, well, I guess, you know, they said something or maybe they didn't. I don't know because it was never talked about again. It was what it was. We go on, I'm growing up, I'm in my 20s. And you know, I had boyfriends, but throughout those relationships as I was growing up, I just remember always just trying to be accepted because I remember just thinking I guess this is, you know, I'm supposed to be supposed to do things or or be however people want me to be to be accepted. Because I remember the, the, the vibe was so weird after I told my mom. Like it was just this weird uncomfortableness, but nobody ever said anything. There was no, it wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. Shame on him. He should not have. Or it, was, it was nothing like that at all. And I kind of felt, you know, as, you know, in retrospect, as I grew up, I kind of felt like 
if it was handled, maybe, you know, because back in those days, you didn't really talk to kids about certain things. Like that just wasn't the thing you did. So if there was anything that was handled, it was never in our presence. I remember just feeling like, oh, did I do that? Oh my gosh, did I, did I cause my family to kind of have this weirdness whenever he's around? And somehow I have formulated in my mind that me being authentic about that moment and telling the truth about that moment or those moments, should I say, was not necessarily the best thing. So I somehow formulated in my mind that, okay, if you are around people in order to, you know, keep the peace and keep everybody happy, because again, even as a child, I just love happy. I just love people being happy around me. So in my relationships, what do you need from me in order for me to be around you? If you want the French maid, I can be a French maid. If you want the, hey, you know, if you want that kind of girl, I'll be that kind of girl. If you want the very astute, very proper, I can be that girl. If that's what you need from me to be your girlfriend. And that carried on for years. What you said, I can be that kind of girl if that's what you need. Whoa. That gave me the chills right there. Yeah. It was literally like that. Even with friendships. What kind of friend do you need me to be? Because it was, for me, affirming. It gave me validity, if you will. I'm now in my early 20s. I was dating a guy. And by then, I'm in my early 20s, remember? I had a son. I was now my first divorce. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember dating this guy, cool guy, amazing guy. But I remember in my relationship with him, I remember this pulling of continuing to try to be what he needed to the point of exhaustion for me. I don't think he ever noticed it, but those experiences of the molestation, it kind of, in that relationship and some of those intimacy moments, I remember just kind of backing off from that. I couldn't, that intimacy, I couldn't really get into the intimacy with this person. Like it was just always this blockage. I was like, okay, I had enough. I can't keep doing this. My mom at the time was working for said uncle. So for me to keep peace in my mind, along with my sisters, we've just said, you know, she smoked. I think she did drugs at one point, not sure what they were. So for for me, for that piece, I felt like maybe there was some trauma for her just even knowing about that, maybe she blocked that out. I don't know. But I remember going to that law office that day and I said to them both, I need to talk to you. And so I just laid it all out there. Look, I'm not stupid. I'm not crazy. I know what happened. I remember everything that happened. I remember every, every, everywhere it was. I remember everything that was done. I remember it all. And I need you to know that I know that I did not forget I need you to know how that experience affected my life and has affected my life, but I need to get it off me because I cannot continue in my life with that weight. So I confronted uncle and I confronted mom because I said to her, and I told you and you did nothing. I remember those were my exact words. I remember my mom saying, no, you didn't. I remember her saying, 
No, because if you had told me, there is no way that I wouldn't have done anything. To her credit, I believe that only because I know she had made some dumb decisions in her past. And I felt like she wasn't in a space to deal with that. After she said that, and he just being like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't just me. It was Carol. It was Siobhan, which is our younger sister. I know what you did. And I need you to understand that I'm very aware and I'm not stupid about it. It hurt me, but I needed to get this off of me because I can't carry this for the rest of my life. Said, I, I, I forgive you, but you, you don't get a space in my life. My mom, that's my mom. I'm mad, but you're my mom. I'm, I'm keeping you because I know you've gone through some things. Yeah, that was my childhood. Whoa. I can't believe he did it to all three of you. I mean, that, have you talked about it with both of your sisters and when were mm-hmm. their experiences similar? Like, how did he come on to you? It usually starts with the sit on my lap and the do this or kiss that kind of thing. At that age, just like, look, that's my uncle. What's the big deal? And uncles do that. They're like, sit on my lap and let me read you a book or, you know, let me give you a hug for the holidays. But you know what? I even have like an uncle I feel weird about that does that. I'm like, wait, you're a kid. You're so trusting. And why would that even be in your thought process at all and it and it wasn't i didn't really have a conceptualization of it being wrong wow i just oh my gosh it's unbelievable that it happened to all three of you and that you all have talked about it like i feel like that has to be healing in some way it is like we we still have our moments i think we talk about it a little bit on a podcast that i did with my sisters. Vans Girls is what that um, episode is called. And we kind of talk about it just a little bit, but we still kind of get emotional about it. Not so much for, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. But for the part that we're like, I wish I could have been there for you more. Or I wish I had have known that it was you too. Because I think at one point, you know, my twin sister and I, we did not know it was, it was both. And then we later discover my twin sister and I, we didn't know about our younger sister until years down. And when she told us, it was literally like living our moment all over again. Like, wait, what now? And he's long gone and dead. Um, He got away with it though. Yeah. Yeah. And he got married and had kids. Yeah, he had kids be, be before, like, because we had cousins, you know, we all grew up, but he also had kids after us. I remember my uncle calling me a couple times throughout, you know, over the years. And I knew it was out of remorse. You know, he had given his life to the Lord, became a Christian. And I, I know that you're doing it out of remorse. And even though there was never an acknowledgement, I really believe that those phone calls were in his way, I guess to help ease his burden, lighten his load. I I don't know. I remember not feeling a thing when I found out that he passed. I couldn't give you that kind of energy from my life. And it's crazy because his daughters had come to my mother's 
funeral. Like they were like, oh, we gotta, we gotta be there for, for our van and we, yeah, we gotta be there. I mean, y'all could be there, but when their father passed away, I think I probably on Facebook said to my cousins, you know, hey, hey, praying for you. Hope you're gonna be okay. Who was Chris now? Ooh, girl. <laughs> she is unstoppable. She is confident. She is free to be who she is. She is love. She is peace. She is happiness. She is joy. She is confrontational when necessary, but peaceful. What was it like being a young mom? I remember being happy because, because at one point in my life, you know how they ask you the, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, you have the doctor and I want to be a fireman and I want to be a nurse. I want to be a teacher. My answer was always, I want to be a mom and a wife. Being raised by my grandmother, I was like, your job is fly. <laughs> I was married and, and pregnant at 16. Yes, ma'am. Whoa. Yeah. And I remember when I got pregnant, I remember telling my mom, and I'm sure she was just my, like my mom had us when she was 19. I was 16. So I'm sure she was like, face palm, what are you doing? She was not happy. So I decided, oh, okay, it's going to be like that. Bye, mom. So I run away. And I run away to the father of my son's house. He was still living with his mom. He was still in high school, too. And I'm like, I'm going to have this baby. And I'm going to be just fine. And don't you worry. And blah, blah, blah. And I remember my mom showed up one day. And she's like, look, I think she thought she was going to call my bluff. Keep in mind, my mother and I were a lot alike. So I'm trying to call her bluff. She's trying to call mine. So she comes and she's like, oh, okay, this this what you're doing? This what you want to do? Well, you know what? If you if you going to do this, you can't be living in this house and not be married to him. You're going to do this. If you're going to be out here and you're going to, then you have to marry him. Now, my son's father was right there on the porch with us when my mom came. She said that. And again, because I'm trying to call her bluff like she's trying to call mine. I look over at him and I was like, you want to get married then? And he's like, yeah, we, we can get married. And I'm like, yeah. Still my mom thinking that she's going to call me bluff. She's like, okay. And so she leaves. Next thing I know, we at the courthouse. My mom signing off on papers. His mom had to sign off papers. We married. Whoa. When were you like, that was a bad idea? Somewhere along day two. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I still thought I had all the answers. But again, I'm, I'm 16. What the heck did I know? Remember, I'm still trying to find out. At that point, I wasn't even trying to find out who Chris was. I was still, who do you need me to be? And so they had a special school for, for the teenage pregnant mom. So I'm like, well, you know, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I just remember, love my son, love being a mom. Love, love, love. But I did not really fully know how to navigate through that as a 16-year-old. My son's father... He was a year ahead of me. So he had graduated before I did and immediately went to the service because now you're married, you got to do something. So he immediately goes to the service. So here's the time frame: We get married. He it has now graduated and off to the service in June, July of that year. I'm still pregnant. 
So he goes off to boot camp, comes back after I have the baby because he did not make it back for the birth. So my mom was in the delivery room with me. He comes back after have the baby for about two weeks. He has to go back to finish boot camp or whatever it was. He was, yeah, was still, I think he was still in boot camp because he's now stationed in Okinawa for a year. He goes to Okinawa for a year because I'm still in school. So I, I'm not going to Okinawa. Within that year, his father passes away. So he comes back home for two weeks. So now we're together again for two weeks. He then gets stationed to North Carolina. I'm now moving with you with the kid. Terrible. I cannot imagine. <laughs> Terrible. I have a one-year-old right now and I'm 41 and I am exhausted. <laughs> it is so much work to have a baby. It's so much work to have a baby and that much more work to now try to figure out who this person is that's been away from you all of that time. He's grown up. I've grown up in certain ways. In some ways I hadn't. In some ways he hadn't. Time to be husband and wife and mom and dad. And we're still like, well, what are we doing? What's that? What do you do? Who are you? What do we do? What is what, you know, what do you like? What do you, I don't know what I like. What do you want me to like? I don't know, you know, trying to navigate that. Horrible, horrible. So you're going through the whole thing, verbal abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and infidelity. Oh my God, you poor thing. Oh. So I remember when I found out about the young lady, I remember calling her. I didn't go off. I was just like, I don't know if you know. <laughs> I just want you to know, and I don't blame you. And, you know, but he has a wife. And, and did he tell you? And that, you know, I'm, I'm being, you poor thing, because you don't, you, don't, you don't know. Maybe you don't know. I don't think it was a full 24 hours after I had that phone conversation that I got the business. How dare you? Catch this, though. Not just from him, his sister, his mother. Why would she call her? Why did she do that? She shouldn't have done it. Blah, blah. And I'm like, what are you, what? Yeah, a mess. For me, I'm like, I know how I grew up with my grandparents. Like there was no talk of divorce. I don't even remember them having arguments. And even if they had a, a disagreement, I always saw my grandfather, you know, squeeze my grandmother butt, give her a kiss on the cheek, and she'd be like, you, you made me mad. She might shed a tear or two, but he was always, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, that kind of thing. So in my mind, once I get married, that's it. For better, for worse, we're going to be just fine. Well, we weren't. We weren't at all. I needed something fulfilling other than just being home all day. So there was a, a pizza hut. It's like I'll just work there and be a waitress. No fun. Became friends with all the waitresses and the cooks and stuff. One of the guys there, he was also in the service, but that's, you know, he kind of did that on the side. Cool. So he's like, hey, I'm we gonna hang out at the barracks. Y'all wanna come on? So me, several of the other waitresses, we like, yeah, come on. So we all at the barracks. Well, one of my husbands at that time, one of his friends was on post. So when you're coming into the base, you know, you have, you have to stop and you tell them where you're going, blah, 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 or, or that you're there for whatever. So he was at the gate. Next thing I know, I come home from just hanging out. It was hell to pay that night. I slept in the closet that night until he came out and was like, get in the bed. 
where's the baby during this? At one point, before it got physical, the baby was on my hip. So you yelling, you pushing, you screaming, baby on my hip. In my mind, surely you see our son here. You're not going to cut the fool while I'm holding our kid. He still cut the fool. Okay, fine. The wife of the gentleman that told my husband that he saw me at the barracks, she comes over like, are y'all okay? Like, cause you can hear the arguing. You need anything? And I was like, just, just get the baby. So I gave her the baby and said, I need you. Let, let me handle this. Cause I don't need him around. So it was a big chase around the apartment complex because we didn't have a phone at the time. We didn't have a house phone at the time. So I'm literally, cause I used to run track. <laughs> what did I not do girl? <laughs> So I'm literally trying to outrun him enough to get to the payphone, to get to the payphone to call 911 to have somebody come out there. Yeah. What but a anyway, night. When we find out about the extra person in our marriage, she was not living in the same state. She was in a completely different state. She was younger than us both. And he was to be going to escort her to her prom. And I remember saying, don't go, don't go, like leading up to when he was supposed to be getting on the plane to go. I love you. Don't go. We need you. Don't go. This is your family. Don't go. And he was still very intent on going. And somewhere I decided, if you go, we are not going to be here when you get back. Hell yes. That was me putting my foot down, thinking, surely. Surely you're not going to still go. He still went. He called your bluff. He called my bluff. He called my bluff so much so that the car that we had, he took the keys. I was trying to get a little bit of money to see, you know, maybe I can do something. I went to work that night and my boss at the time, don't go on there. Why is your podcast making me cry? I go to work that night. My boss at the time and several of the waitresses had put together money, sorry, <laughs> had put together money to get my son and I on a plane to go back to Florida. It was one of those moments that I was just, I was just floored. They were awesome people, but I did not realize how much they had valued me as a person to say, you gotta go. You gotta go. Like, it's not okay for you. And wow. So literally, he had left that Friday. I think it might have been a Friday. And we were on the plane that very next day. I had <laughs> no money, no place to go. Like, thank God my, my twin was still living in Florida. Well, both my sisters were still living in Florida. But my twin had, my twin had her own place. And I went and lived with her, with my son. And, and she, had, you know, she had a daughter. That sounds like a bonding moment. It was, it was very much a bonding moment. I was done. Yeah. I was done. Yeah. I got married again. My oldest son went to live with his father. No. Yeah. We had already been divorced, you know, that kind of thing. And I remember that time child support weren't, wasn't technically something that was super enforced or anything like that. Even if you were on any type of government assistance or anything like that, they didn't really enforce it. He was supposed to be paying for daycare and they had increased the daycare costs. And I remember going to him, they increased the daycare costs, need you to take care of the daycare costs. And he was like, 
I'm going to do you one better. I'm suing for custody. And I'm like, what? This boy ain't seen you in years. Like, what are you talking about? You don't even have a presence in this boy's life. No matter what. Now, you know, he had, you know, gone off and was in college and getting his degree and he was doing all these things. And I'm not worried about anything like that happening. Like, no court would ever do that. I was wrong. <laughs> so wrong. I cannot believe that. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, my, my life is very, very colorful. Came day of court and was like, listen, if she could do A, B, C, and D, there would be no reason because he wants to live with his mom. Now, what was A, B, C, and D? How about I had just lost my job? Oh, my God. I was single, so my car was about to get repossessed. I had an apartment. I was on government assistance. He had just graduated from university, had his degree, had lined up. It was still a five-figure, but it was in the high five. Was married and already had a house. And so they were like, if she can get reliable transportation, she can get, be employed, st- uh, you know, a stable employment and, and home living. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because the kid wants to live with his mom. And I'm like, how am I supposed to do that in a month? Even if I got one today. How are you going to determine that that's stable? The judge said, I'm granting him residential custody. Oh, my God. If I was never broke up before, I was a literal mess and a half. He was your everything. Literally. He was seven, seven at the time. Oh, I'm getting the chills. I don't think I have in my life been so mad at God. I was furious. I am beside myself, but I don't know what else to do but to go somewhere and sing because that was my piece. That is so beautiful. I love that that was your piece and that that gave you joy and that gave you hope. It did. Even when I didn't see any hope, I didn't see how this was all going to work, how this even made sense, but I was like, I'm just going to sing. Actually, I'm about to, to drop this, this uh, part two of my A Truth About Authenticity, where I talk about this particular authentic moment. Back in 2013, when my mother was passing, she was the 24-7 caregiver for my grandmother, her mother, who had had a stroke. So my mother took care of everything, cleaned her, fed her, changed her, wiped her, the whole shebang. Well, now my mother had a brain aneurysm. So who was doing that? My mother and my grandmother were so very, very close. Our grandmother knew something had happened, but she wasn't in the state for anyone to tell her what it was or for her to even verbalize that she wanted to know. So mom gets brain aneurysm, January. We bury her, February. Grandmother passes the end of March. We bury grandmother early April. By the end of April, I am now separated from my husband. Oh, my God. By May 2013, I am in an apartment separated and with my sons, my two sons, trying to navigate through that. I was very put off by what Christianity had looked like in my marriage at Mm -hmm. that point. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm gonna go through the motions, but yeah, me and you, I don't even think we really got a relationship. Trying to process 
Like that's that's such an, a large amount of grief in a small time frame. Like there really wasn't time to process. Mother dies, need to process that grief. Oh wait, gotta bury my grandmother. Okay, gotta process the grief from both of those two. Oh wait, I'm, my marriage is done. So yeah, and now now you're a single parent to two, and you don't have time to process any of those losses. Pull up your your big girl panties, as they say, and and let's get to it. And that's what I did. And it took me, you know, I cut, we had a lot of mutual friends. So I pretty much cut everybody off because I didn't know who to trust. Yeah, it was a very dark time. It was a very dark time. But I did learn in that time how to tap in for myself. Is there yes. one last thing that you want to ask my daddy or anything? Hey, big daddy. <laughs> I just had to say it. Yes. It. How protective was he of you as a kid? I know what he'll say, but that's a good question. Yeah, You're amazing. I'm just, I'm just interested because I didn't, I didn't grow up with my dad. I didn't find out who I knew the name of my dad, but I never actually met my dad until 2018. Yeah, and he's right in Houston. Do you have a relationship with him now? A week, I believe, before I found him, he was helping someone, had a flat tire on the side of the road. And as he was helping the lady with her flat tire, he had a stroke. So right now, he's in a rehab, unable to talk. He still can't talk. You've never been able to talk to him? No, I was, I was there. I held oh. his hand. I told him, asked him if he remembered, who, who remembered my mother and told him, you know, I'm, I'm one of her twin girls. I'm your daughter. And remember the big smile on his face? As, but he was, it was, the stroke was still fresh. So he's, you can tell he's like, I think I remember, but I'm not sure. But I think I know who she is. And, you know, I look my, like my mom. So, but he's never been able to talk. So, yeah, I got questions, but I ain't, I ain't got no answers. Wow. You have to cover that on your show. That's unbelievable. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been fun. You're incredible. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. you. Now, let's move it on to Grandpa. This is the story of Chris Black, alias Chris Love. And isn't that what this episode is all about? How do you find love after everything that has happened to this girl? It's amazing. It was a pretty entertaining and emotional episode, right? Unbelievable. What's interesting to start off is the connection of twins how they don't even have to be in the same room to wear the same clothes, prepare and eat the same food. Certain feelings where they, they feel it together without even talking to each other. It's an unbelievable connection for two people to have where they can actually communicate and think together and how they have a lot of things in common. And yet also where twins have different tastes and differences as well, where they're their own people it just goes to show you all the variables in life of how complicated our genetic makeup is, and at the same time, how much of it can be the same and can also stimulate where we do similar actions, even if we're hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. You have a, a mother that has had twins at 18 or 19 years old, and again, the formula of not really knowing your dad and and she was in the service and where she wasn't really able to take care of the, 
the two kids and where we have to count on the grandparents to be able to step up and be the role model for these uh, two little girls. And yet when you're in a strange environment where you're counting on relatives to pick up the foundation of your family should be your two parents as your leading examples in life. And when they're not there, it's a much tougher road for children. And where also abuse can take in, where a relative, an uncle, not only uh, molested her, but molested the other sister or twin. And then when the mother had another daughter, five years later, even that, that little girl was molested by this uncle. It's just an unbelievable situation. And yet, look how it can go completely uncovered and where the child has to endure and live through this scarring that can go on for decades or possibly even their whole lives. But she is a person of self-healing. And she also brought up the story of how in order to please people, she would be whoever you want her to be. And then finally, she comes to the realization and becomes her own person by saying, I don't need to please everybody else. I need to be who I want to be, who I am. And being authentic is the best ingredient of who we are. And trying to be someone else, yes, you can be a character in a play or a show. And she certainly was able to learn how to do that, uh, not only in her regular life, but even on the stage. But that's just playing a part. You still have to come to the realization that the person that you have to get along with the best in life is yourself. And to be yourself, you have to be authentic and you have to be real. And if you do that, guess what? Then people will want to be around you without you having to put on an act. Like she said in the beginning, there's beauty in that. Absolutely. I feel like I'm doing that more and more as well. Absolutely. And that's the thing. The idea is that our experiences and the experiences of others, if we listen to others, can help really formulate where we can make better decisions in the future. And like I said, that's where, again, we bring up that wisdom rating. But I give Chris Black a lot of credit because she has faced different dilemmas in her life where she even had to give up her son, which is all that she had after being attacked and really wanting to be a mother and really wanting to search out and find love for herself of what it was that she really wanted to be a mother when she's down on her luck and not working and not being around with a support crew to help her. She had to give up her son. It's a lot of traumatic experiences. And yet she would build on each one of the adversities that were thrown her way to reach down, be able to soothe herself through her music and her singing and developing herself where she would be able to be a better person from within and build herself up and where she could stand and be more and more independent. And she was able to mature and grow and really overcome all these things. I don't know if a lot of people could overcome all the things that she had to overcome. But I think having an identical sister where they were able to share and laugh and do things together as well, and they experienced the same type of abuse, but they had each other, is really, I think, a very special bond. 
that she has that most people do not have. We all need that. We all need that special person to be able to have our back when times are tough. Some of us are fortunate enough to have that backup person, and a lot of people do not have it. Today's episode is sponsored by Rin10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Rin10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah. <laughs>